0: Welcome to the Mortise and Tenon Magazine Podcast, where we're celebrating historic furniture making. This is episode number 31. I'm Mike Uptegraff. And
1: I'm Joshua Klein.
0: Yeah, and uh, everyone listening we're inviting you to go over to itunes and leave a creative or entertaining review of this podcast
1: Yep, it doesn't have to be praiseworthy no or praise at all Can no just... if
0: if you are <laughs> offering criticism if you do it as long as you do it in an entertaining way and we find that it is a, a, a highly entertaining or interesting comment uh you might be ending up with a free t-shirt
1: So leave your comments, uh, let us know what you think of the podcast, any ideas uh, that you want to contribute, so uh, leave those, and then uh, we will choose the most entertaining one, uh, call you out on the next podcast episode, and uh, you can reach out to get your free t-shirt.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, But we have been uh, lately working on a program uh, that we've been inspired to talk about uh, the, what led up to it, what, what we were thinking about that led to this idea. Um, it's a program we're calling the Mortis Intendent Apprenticeship Program. Um, and, and we've been uh, working on uh, this idea of, of trying to come up with a way that we can help people learn how to get into woodworking, kind of a starting place, people who maybe don't have, you know, vast, ex- they're not a master, but they want right. to try some some new stuff. Um, And maybe they have more free time now, these days, working from home, maybe. Uh, And they're saying, how how can I learn new skills? How can I get this new woodworking thing into my life? And they've tried to pursue different paths for that. You know, everything from surfing on YouTube uh, to waiting for a day that they can go to an in-person class. Um, And so we've been, Mike and I, uh, we've been talking about that. For I don't know, yeah, better uh, part of a year or a good something chunk of this year. We've yeah, been we're trying to figure out this. what can we do to help people, especially as uh, you know, when people were not traveling as much. What can we do to help fill that gap for them and help them feel encouraged um, along their journey?
0: Um, so we've been thinking about that a lot. Yeah, and you know, some of it comes down to. Um, you know, educational philosophy and things like that. Just, you know, what is the best way to learn? And it's been really neat lately. We put out a a few different videos, um, on YouTube, kind of talking about this, like, what's the best way to learn? How have you been able to, um, you know, grow in your skills? What are the things you've struggled with in learning woodworking? And we've gotten some great feedback in, in YouTube on the blog. Um, and so we, we want to go through maybe some of those thoughtful comments today and just discuss them, uh, and, you know, just kind of parse them out and, uh, get to the, the root of, um, th- the way that all these listeners have, have found that, uh, has helped them to learn to do woodworking or at the places they've struggled. Um, so we, we talk a lot about this middle way that we're aiming at. And so the, the middle that we're talking about is we've seen this primary um focus on Joshua as you said either video or in person yeah. and we've looked at the pros and cons of both. You and, know. and it seems like the that
1: uh that continuum, that spectrum. I, I mean right. I it guess is be the polars. Right. It's not really even like a spectrum because there's not much in the middle. Yeah. But you have these two paths and they are so radically different. They're right. Totally different. Um you have the free YouTube, cons- you know, consumption where you sit down and you watch a video,
0: and there's and
1: there's yeah, that. That's yeah, what it is. And then you have this whole other super expensive class, like this, like a five day class at a woodworking school. Yeah, is somewhere around a thousand dollars. Yeah, just to or get more. into the class. Yeah, right. And then you get this airplane ticket, and you get a hotel, and you have to pay for all these restaurant meals the whole time.
0: Yeah, I. Mean, and You're your dropping a few time. thousand dollars. Yeah, few, yeah, your
1: vacation time off, you know, from work. And so, you know, that's on this whole other end of the spectrum. Totally different experience. And what we've seen is that there are true, legitimate benefits to both of those paths, for sure. Yeah. An in-person class, you get this focus time. You get a, a mentor who's there uh, who can guide you through troubleshooting. So that's a real benefit. Um, the video... I will say, you know, having taught in-person classes, you know, when I'm standing in front of you know 15 people and they're all in a little semicircle, yeah, they're watch,
0: clustering in, trying to watch yeah. what
1: I'm doing when I'm cutting a tenon. Yeah, they can't see the yeah. close-up. ten stuff. of them can't. Tell they're like what's craning going on. their necks over, yeah. and then I always see, you know, there's someone in the back who kind of just gives up and he's yeah. got his hands in his pockets and he's looking around like I can't even see anything. Yeah. So that. You know that's not good, but video can, you can actually get close-ups. You can stop it. You can go back and replay that clip. So in, in terms of communicating the subtleties of small-scale work like joinery for furniture, right? Really, video you can't beat for yep. that aspect. So we thought, well, that's really good. Yep. And in person is you get the mentorship. Right. So, how
0: could we try to get the best of all that? Yeah. Go down the middle, and and as we've said, it's not, it's not a mentorship, and it's also not just video. We're looking simply, to, yeah. to to combine um, the benefits of both in a way that meets somewhere in the middle. So. So the other thing that we talked about with it though is like um, the other major
1: glaring thing for us, which I think. I mean in some sense they both fail to address is the the habit of exactly craft. The dailiness of it. Because we found that, you know, if you to use the extreme example, let's say you save up for the one class that's, you know, a once a year thing, but you really can't fit shop time into the rest of your life. Right. That's a problem. (laughs) (laughs) So you're
0: doing woodworking once a year. I mean talk about And maybe fiddling around from time to time. Yeah, talk about like
1: stagnation and, and, and growth and skill. Yeah. So that, I mean, there's, that's just a really hard situation to work with. It's better uh, to spend 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, whatever. And, and most days get in the shop and do that. Um, then you're really going to be that much more uh, further on down the line, even though each day feels small. So I think uh, in-person classes aren't helpful in that. They don't hurt it, but they aren't providing right. it. Yeah. And even just sitting around watching YouTube videos isn't causing you to be daily. Yeah. There's something else that needs to happen, uh, whether it's from within you yeah. or some other external guide to say,
0: today, what are you going to do today? What yeah. are you going to do tomorrow? What are you going to do the next day? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a great hazard in all the information available online, especially on YouTube, in that you can become... Uh, what you think of as almost an expert on any subject because of the videos that you watch you can absorb all this information and you feel like you know how to do this you know you can tackle this task because you've watched hours of video on it but you've just been an armchair woodworker you've never actually gone and done it and i think there are a lot of people out there and you know, a lot of those people tend to comment on YouTube videos, they, they There's have, a lot of wisdom in YouTube. There's a lot of wisdom in YouTube comments. <laughs> uh, but they are, um, they're not really practicing. They're just absorbing information from being entertained by videos. And so that can be a danger. And yeah. so that's another way to deal with that, again, is to go to your bench and work. And you'll actually see how different head knowledge is from hand knowledge. Yeah. Um, So hand knowledge is something that you can only learn by making the hands do something over and over. Um, So we wanna get into uh, some of these thoughts that readers and listeners shared with us and just discuss them, these different ways of learning and um, different interesting points that were made. Uh, So I guess we'll start with our, our good friend Florian, who is one of the most skilled carpenters I've ever seen uh Florian is a member of the charpentier Sans frontier uh the group that, that uh who came here a couple years ago now and hewed and raised a timber frame yeah one of the most amazing week ten days of my life uh-huh. um but uh florian is uh a member of that group and right i don't know if right at this moment we could say they're doing work towards restoring Notre dame yeah. Uh, I'm sure he's thinking about it anyway, if he's Talk not about doing it right now. Talk about an
1: elevation of going from like building a little black shop <laughs> blacksmith in Maine to shop Notre Maine. Dame. Like, yeah.
0: Wow, that's quite a leap. Slightly different scale. That's awesome. But uh, Florian is uh, an amazing craftsman, and he had he had some interesting thoughts to share. He, he was talking about, um, as he put it, the time needed to integrate the know-how into your body. Even if you had the best master class week, he says you know, like going to a, a class for a week, he says uh, that kind of experience is often too concentrated to allow you to digest fully the content of the training, which is a really interesting thought because you do get slammed with information. And especially if it's in a different context, your brain is just like going full throttle. That's the, the, whole time. the drinking from a fire hose. Yeah, analogy. you're just hosed down yeah. with, with raw knowledge. Um, so he says... Um, about how the pressure he puts on himself to try and do these tasks like well as soon as he learns them. He says, I could spend days or weeks sticking to my axe and not being satisfied. But then he says, uh, sometimes he'd he'd walk away. Uh, He'd go and, you know, tackle some other project or something. And he says, surprisingly, after three months without touching my axe, I had the sensation that I made big progress. And I wake up from this axe break and get back to work with it. He says, it's just like if my last experience took three months basically to to sink in Hmm. and for his brain to analyze that and acquire that new skill. So Hmm. that is a really interesting thing to me where he says, I learn it, I practice it, I'm terrible at it, but then I let my brain and body process it. I literally walk away.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting because uh, that is exactly what Julia, my wife, just told me. Hmm. She said the same thing. Because uh, Julie and I, we've been uh, this week in the evenings, we've been carving spoons together. Um, And I've been carving spoons for a couple of years on and off uh, periodically. And she has been um, not quite as long, uh, but also much less regularly into it. So she's only done a handful of spoons uh, in her life so far. And uh, so as she's been working through that process, she was talking about, you know, it's been a while since she carved one. Uh, at least a few months and then uh, just recently she just carved two this week and she said it is so crazy because even though i haven't been carving i feel like it's just all of the steps have become clear for me as it's just settled in me huh. so it's the same thing for yeah. me, i was saying she, she wasn't actually carving or actively carving right and there she is she picks it up and it's just that much more internalized, yeah. Um, and so there's something to that. I don't understand that. Yeah. I mean, unless it, it, your your brain has to just
0: yeah, settle it's it's on kind it. of like the value of, of like a vis- visualization or something where you're you're um, kind of training yourself the way to think about a process. And mm-hmm. I know like there are basketball coaches and stuff who tell their athletes to like imagine the play or imagine scoring the shot sure. or imagine, and so they're working their brain through that very physical thing um and you know you let it process yeah by the way this is your bag of spoon blanks over here oh yeah nice the
1: the bag is getting less full
0: yeah i carved two spoons last night
1: really it's fun awesome yeah but i mean talk about uh a learning curve it i was telling a friend this weekend i was carving a spoon and he said oh wow that's pretty cool that's fun never saw that before and i said you know it's interesting because carving spoons is one of the hardest ways, the uh, hardest woodworking activities I've ever done. Mm. Uh, making a table, that's a breeze. Right. That's a total yeah. breeze because you can just, it's all flat work, it's all square. Yeah. But spoons, it's working with green stock, you know, riving grain orientation. Uh, it's sculptural in every dimension right. and it's functional. It has to feel good when you put it in your mouth. Yeah. It can't be- Everybody knows thing. a bad spoon. And Um, so it's, it's a, I I feel like the, the bar is really high. Yeah. You, you, it's, it's hard to get to a place where you say, that's actually a decent spoon. Right. And so I've been struggling through it. Um, so I think I have, uh, it's helped me to sympathize, uh, with other people struggling with other skills. I can say, I totally know what it's like to struggle. Every time I pick up a new thing, I'm like tripping left and right. Yeah. Um, but it's that commitment to do it over time. I didn't carve, you know, this aggressive schedule of spoons that I was c- just a few hours a day. I right. get- no, it's just a few years ago I, I inserted it into my life, right? And when I have some time, I do that, and it's, it's really helped.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting to think about that, just how how people learn a new thing. That it starts out as um as totally foreign to you and to your experience and it's just so awkward and uncomfortable like like the first few spoons that that we've ever carved it's like wow okay this is this kind of stinks this transition here from from the bowl to the handle like Mm. that's awful yeah um but you know gradually you you get to to absorb the knack of it and it's kind of like i i've told you about um i recently took a an msf motorcycle safety course uh to get my license and before that i had never ridden on tarmac or anything right and so most of the people in the class were in the same place they'd never Mm -hmm. ridden a motorcycle before like day one and so we got out there and we're all a little bit nervous and we start these exercises and everyone was so awkward like just doing a u-turn a low speed I mean it, it was like motorcycles tipping over and all this and it was it was you know like a war zone but then after 5 minutes everybody could do a u-turn and just watching people work that out in their their minds so the instructors are very clear about process but then in their bodies they have to do that in their bodies you can't just read a book and get that hmm. you have to do it yeah um so that was really telling for me especially since I struggled and then got it, and then I was by the end of day two feeling fairly confident in my ability to maneuver around that parking lot. We'll see how the road goes once once my motorcycle is ready to go. But um, yeah, that's that's a good way of gaining confidence is just by doing it. Yeah, um, I
1: mean, one one commenter uh, was talking about uh, he was talking about the necessity of this reflective practice, and he, he, you refer to it as soak time Mm. uh, to consolidate learning. And, you know, I think um, as you begin to, you know, whether it's a a more complicated um, big picture category of skills, like woodworking, which is a huge set of all sorts of skills, or it's one particular operation, like a motorcycle doing a U-turn. Either way, you can't just have someone tell you, the list of instructions and then you can do it right you need the soak time you need this um the easier the smaller the task you know it's it's a shorter amount of time but you still need to go through it struggle through it and, and tip that bike over and then you go ah, oh, yeah and let that soak in watch a few others reflect on it and then you can say okay now do this there's no way around it there right. is no way around it there isn't um you know it, the armchair Woodworker thing is a real thing. There are mm-hmm. a lot of people who read everything, watch tons of YouTube videos, and yeah. rarely pick up a saw. Yeah, and um, it's not to uh, disparage people. It's just yeah. to say,
0: don't confuse that for woodworking. Yeah, and don't confuse those folks for experts either. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, so the the practice of steeping yourself in well, the practice of steeping yourself in practice right uh that that soak time uh is is really you can't get around that and in fact it's what we as woodworkers love to do so i'm not you know don't want to present it as oh it's a step that you can't avoid well no it's actually the whole point of yeah doing it. like
1: oh that's terrible no no yeah. oh i i want to be a woodworker uh, but i don't but, want to
0: put the time but in but it. i don't
1: want to like spend time working, working wood, wood. Yeah. so how can i shortcut that yeah yeah. Like, yeah that's, well, that's the great way way news yeah. like how do you get to be proficient at woodworking? Do woodworking. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> that's the great news to me. I mean, that's, I'll, I'll go ahead here to a couple comments. This uh, guy on YouTube named Clay, he shared, he said, my wife is a teacher and a pianist, and she told me something awesome. Instead of saying, I should be in my shop, right? That's the, oh, I gotta go work. She says, say to myself, I can go to my shop. He said, it yeah. sounds crazy, but that way of thinking changes things. You know, just saying, "Oh, you know, I love doing this. This is why why I'm making stuff because I enjoy the process. Mm. Um, yeah, he said, it really changes the way that he thinks about it. and then, um sort of the second step of the whole thing, and I'll share the rest of Clay's quote here. he talks about um, this personal focus, he says. Whenever I need to do something small and simple, like drilling a couple holes to mount, uh, he says, I won't just grab my cordless drill. Instead, I'll grab my little bit brace. Or if I need to cut a board, I won't grab my cordless circular saw. I'll grab my little $9 Home Depot handsaw, which you might get dubious results from that, but it probably works just fine. Uh, but he said, those little acts of defiance against ease and convenience have radically improved my skills with hand tools. And so I would add to the... the um, You know the the steeping or the soaking in um the practice of woodworking with the forming a a habit of woodworking you know it's it's doing small things regularly um and we we've talked about that a lot just uh not letting yourself lapse in it making it a part of if possible daily life Mm -hmm. even for a, a small amount of time um I'll read this other comment from a guy on YouTube named Travis. He talks about the concept of no zero days. Do something every day, even if it's making pencil marks for your future cuts and nothing else. It's more than nothing. It's how I learned to code, and now I'm getting into hand tool woodworking. So it's yeah. it's very similar to uh, what, what Florian was saying about um, allowing your mind to work through a process. I think making pencil marks on a project just keeps that project rolling forward. Mm-hmm. It keeps your progress advancing, and it keeps keeps your mind occupied and working through those new skills that you're learning. Well, you know, it's interesting. Just by, by way of analogy, um, it, it's
1: not the same thing at all. But by way of analogy, um, I have uh, several friends who have gone to seminary to learn, to get theological education. So they're going to school, doing this big program, lots of complicated study. Um, and I've had some friends who have gone to, you know, a brick and mortar school, and they step away from the rest of life, and they have three years of concentrated right. super academic yep. stuff. And you know what happens with that? They get totally in this little bubble of all their academic... Uh, discussions, and they say all oh, the theory and all this stuff this is so great, and it's all oh, wow, and their minds are exploding, and then they come out of their training, their ministry <laughs> into the real world, training, and they go to become the pastor of a church. Mm-hmm. And someone says, "My brother-in-law is short-changing me, and he's always been like this, and I don't know what." Right. Some like really interpersonal struggles, yeah. and all of a sudden, all the theory, yeah, is hard to. It's hard to connect those dots, but I have a few friends who have done. Distance seminary training. Yeah. And so, as they're doing their classes at home, they are also actively serving in the leadership of the church. So, right. it's like part of their time they're doing book work, and then part of their time they're helping, you know, counsel people through situations yeah. they're struggling in. And so, when that training is over, there's no disconnect.
0: Yeah. And they're I think fully that's, integrated.
1: Yeah. It's exactly. It's an integrated education. And so, that's a great analogy, I think, for learning any kind of skill that. The more you can integrate it into your life, you could go off somewhere to learn, but now the burden is on you. If you go to sign up for a two-month course doing woodworking, great, but just realize it's not going to naturally uh, translate to the rest of your life. Right, exactly. You have to now figure out how do you bring that home. Yeah. And so I think that's an important thing um, that... One of the biggest hurt, like if if anyone would say, okay, I hear that, but how can I, I don't have a shop set up. So that's not realistic for me. What's the first step you would tell me? Yeah. Get a shop. Get a shop. I don't don't care what your situation is. Um, You know, we did an article about apartment woodworking. Yeah. Uh, Spencer Nelson, uh, he was working in New York City. He built a small workbench in his uh, tiny little, actually Brooklyn apartment, I think it was. Yeah. And he was learning from square one uh, how to do hand-tool woodworking in his little tiny apartment. And so he had to time it when people were away during the day. He was able to do some of his chopping work. Yeah, the noise of chopping mortises on the floor. Exactly. But but so I was really inspired by Spencer's story because I, I don't think there's any situation or there are very few situations in which you can't do anything at all. Right. Um, If you can listen to this podcast, you can probably find a few minutes somewhere to squirrel uh, some time away. And if you can find a little corner somewhere that you have a tiny, tiny little bench you can do or carve a spoon. All you need is a Mm -hmm. knife, you know, whatever you can figure out. Um, If someone says to me, I just can't carve out the time in my life for that. I would say you're thinking about it wrong. Right. Because you can. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So. uh I think that there are so many opportunities that we just miss and that we would do well to just cease. And, and I think part of it is committing to 10 minutes a day. Right. Do not do 15 minutes. If you have right. 10 minutes, don't do 15. Just right. do 10 and then do 10 the next day and then do 10 the next day. And that adds up. Yeah. If you try to overshoot and overcommit, you'll say, oh, I can't I can't fit this into my life.
0: Yeah. And you'll stop. Yeah. It's like... Um or just reading an excerpt from this book by, um, by Douglas Wilson, where he talks about writing the great American novel. And mm-hmm. you might want to write the 60,000 word novel, but you can't even conceive of that. Like, if I had three months, I could sit down, three months free and clear, but who has that really? Right. Right. Um, but he says, but you could write 100 words a day mm-hmm. and just do that in less than two years of your invisible free time. You've written the great American novel. Yep. And that's, that's such, to me, a, a refreshing way of looking at it because I think m- most of us, uh, definitely me included, we, we do not make the most of our time. We have a lot of time that we waste watching cats startled by cucumbers on YouTube. Which is worthwhile. Uh, well, yeah, okay. Maybe that's a bad example. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we waste time with our, our little, um, kind of valueless pursuits, when we have, like, all of us could sit down and write out, like, life goals, what do I want to achieve, what do I, and how am I working towards those, Mm -hmm. uh, there's gonna be a big gap between those two lists, and, like, what am I actually spending my time on, I think sometimes doing an audit of your day, or whatever, is, it could be useful if really depressing mm-hmm. because you're like, okay, so I spent two hours doing this completely pointless thing that has no meaning and no value beyond the moment. Mm-hmm. And how is this working towards my goals? Well, you and I have both installed uh, screen monitoring apps yeah. on our phones. Yeah. To a let us years know ago, we what we're, like, we're doing. What the heck? Yeah. I can't believe well, I spent that much this, time there's no on way. Instagram. Yeah. The app, it must be running while the app's just open in my pocket or something because I didn't spend an hour and a half on there. Yeah, surely, yeah. I, I mean, I did notice a few interesting things as I was scrolling, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, It it's funny how much, how quickly that time goes away. The one, the other thing I
1: was thinking about, uh, as you were talking, um, is I found this, this awesome, uh, how would you like? Basically, this this power that's unleashed when you have children, because <laughs> yeah. uh, kids are great, uh, are are so focused on what they want that they will say, "We want this, we want this," and they'll inspire, they'll shift what happens, right? Yeah, and that could be negative p- potentially, but if you if you steer your kids in a in a direction that you ultimately want your family to go, yeah, they will not let up. Yeah, They will demand it. Well, that's
0: a funny funny thing to think about.
1: And so I've thought about that with, like, um, you know, I've taught my, my boys to use, um, I have three boys. And uh, as they've been, you know, like, there were two, I started teaching them uh, woodworking. So I have three kids now who are just pumped. And they, <laughs> they won't wanna, let you sleep. <laughs> yeah, they constantly want to drive nails and use rasps and build stuff. And it's, it's hard for me to, when they look at me, with those big eyes and Mm -hmm. eyelashes and they say, Papa, when can we work in the shop? I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And so I wanted that. And it's easy for me to get caught up in life and obligations and responsibilities and business things and whatever. But then when that kid looks me in the eye and he says, Papa, when are we going to work in the shop? I'm like, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's the whole point. Yeah. And so if you have kids, you know, if you uh, sow those seeds into them, they will not let you off right especially if you make it a habit let's say you say okay here's our commitment we're going to do this this and this timing or whatever yeah or we have a birthday tradition that um, my boys on their birthday i take them up here we work for a good chunk of time up in the shop on their birthday just the two of us and i know i'm never going to be able to get out of that if i wanted to right they'll demand it of me yeah and that's really i think healthy to put things in your life that will make it easier to do what you want to do than to ignore what you want to do
0: right you know yeah the reward is greater for doing it yep um yeah absolutely like uh a few months ago i um committed with with our three kids to every thursday morning getting up and going into town and running on the high school track right we're all gonna get up we're going to go in at 5.30 in the morning. We're going to run 400s and 200s and 100s and, and just like have a great time. And so they've become totally into this. And there are mornings when I get up and I'm like, oh, but the knowledge that um, they like the night before they all lay out their, their clothing, right? And they get their shoes ready and lined up by the door They're they are wanting to go they're just waiting on me and I thought that oh I would let them down big time mm-hmm. if I dropped the ball this morning if I decide to sleep in another half hour or whatever so I get up I, I say okay guys let's go and half the time they like leap out of bed. It's mm. really funny they have more enthusiasm about it than I do but it's we we always have a great time and it's so worthwhile so just having having... Those, the the kids' single-mindedness uh, to that end is is really an awesome thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, I wish I could be more single-minded <laughs> in that way, like they are. Um, so another aspect that that we've talked about and uh, that others have shared with us is they talk about the value of um, in-person classes in in that like having a a um, Well, we talk about a a mentor, but having a a teacher to guide you or having, um, you know, a lot of people talk about their mentors as in, uh, someone whose videos they watch a lot on YouTube, right? (laughs) Like this, this person, this YouTube celebrity woodworker is, is my mentor. And, um, but other people have talked about classes that they've taken, uh, and in specific woodworking schools where they have gotten a lot out of Um, absorbing knowledge from a a specific teacher or individual. And while, I mean, there's definitely a lot to be said for that kind of approach, I I found it interesting. I was uh, reading um, in A Handmade Life, Bill Copperthwaite. He was talking about teaching uh, from a slightly different perspective than uh, sort of taking some teacher and, and holding them up on a, putting them up on a pedestal as being like the, the source of my knowledge, the source of my wisdom. Uh, Copperthwaite talked about teaching as a collaboration between um, I mean, essentially, I would say, between teacher and student. He said <clears throat> um, that teaching is a dangerous occupation setting the teacher up in the eyes of the society, in the eyes of the students, and I'm afraid in the teacher's own eyes as one who, quote, knows, unquote. <clears throat> yeah. You know, like a a possessor of hidden knowledge, I guess, might be a way of putting that. Um, but I think that, that there's a degree today in which that can be true, where we, um, instead of... Um, Focusing on on gaining knowledge through the use of our hands and the use of our minds and doing a process for ourselves mm-hmm. We look more to, to to others to experts those
1: who are certified
0: They're properly certified, yeah. right? Yeah They're certified in hand tool woodworking or mm-hmm. or in any of those things that that we want to um, Any of those interests or goals that we have to pursue like learning we more and more have um, we we kind of turn our own um experience off a little and rely more on those who we we see as qualified they they've been lifted up in the eyes of society
1: yeah well and i think that the danger for that i mean there, there's a danger for both teacher and student in that situation or celebrity and you right know, consumer yeah, audience groupie whatever, groupie <laughs> um there's a danger in both obviously if if the, um, the celebrity in this situation is, you know, they know what's going on, then the audience is going to be really limited in what they're exposed to. And they're going to say, this is the only way to do it.
0: Yes, right. Because this is
1: why, this this is how this person does it. So. I remember hearing a, a discussion about uh, someone, uh, it was a friend was teaching our class, and he said, this is how we do this and that. And they were all going through. And he said, just, just do it my way for this. If you have your own way, that's fine. Do that later. For now, just try it my way. And he saw the student doing it a different way, chopping a mortise a different way. And he said, what are you doing? That's, that's not the way I told you to do it because it's going to mess up. And he said, well, this is the way Paul Sellers does it. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, well, wait, I just okay, told you. but do we're it all this working. Way, to, uh, this is how I'm teaching you, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's this whole like celebrity mentality. And I'm not picking on Paul Sellers at all. I'm just saying when you think there's only one way to do this, Um, And I'm not open to others' input, or I'm not open to my own experience. Right. It's a dangerous place for the audience, but it's also a dangerous place uh, for the one who knows, for the one who's got it all settled, and they say, I know there is only one way, and I've figured it out. Right. Um, Those who have received, who have imbibed the received wisdom, those who have, you know, set themselves up as, I am the authority on this. Right. we're not authorities on this. I mean, right. I don't think of us, I see us as on this journey to try to discover um, what other people have done before us and try to learn from it. Um, but it, it made, we were talking about this podcast and kind of shooting a few ideas around and what we wanted to talk about. And as we were talking about this idea of holding up those who know, right? I was like, that's just like Jacques
0: <laughs> Which of course N- not makes him. sense for a hand toward working context. Yeah. Uh, so, Jacques Ellul. Yeah,
1: Jacques Ellul is a sociologist who is uh, studying technology and society, and um, he has this book called Propaganda, The Formation of Men's Attitudes. And I finished it. Such a good book. Highly recommend it, uh, especially these days. Right. Uh, and I gave it to Mike, and uh, he's reading it right now. Yep. Um, and I love Ellul because um, he just cuts straight through and says, this is the deal. And so he talks about um, this is related to expertise and those who think they know. And he says, in, in light of propaganda, he says, intellectuals are virtually the most vulnerable to all, of all to modern propaganda for three reasons. So it's like the opposite. You'd think right. people who are in the know, they're the right. least subject to propaganda. Right. No, no, no. The ones who say they know, they're in on it. Right? Yeah. They're the most vulnerable. most vulnerable. For three reasons. One. They absorb the largest amount of secondhand, unverifiable unvi- information. Mm-hmm. So they're just swimming in this information. Right. Two, they feel a compelling need to have an opinion on every important <laughs> question of our time. Right. And thus easily succumb to opinions offered to them by propaganda on all indigestible pieces of information. Wow, so it's like this burden on them. Yeah, they feel like, like I, I am
0: I an elite, so therefore people are looking I, to I me. I have to say
1: something, and right. that happens in woodworking too. I mean, I people turn to us and they ask us questions. I feel the temptation to open my to mouth, answer. but I'm not yeah. really sure. Yeah, and I have to check myself all the time on that to go. Mm, I don't know actually. Right, answer. or I only know this little piece, but you might want to check out so and so. Right, so you got to watch that. And the third reason that these elites are subject to this is that they consider themselves capable of judging for themselves. Right. He says they literally need propaganda to uphold this whole position. Wow. Which is like, you know...
0: That is so interesting. <laughs> whoa. Uh, but I think it's yeah.
1: important to to uh, apply that, to, to connect that to expertise and um, the ones who know that um, we're doing everything we can to offer advice and to help you. And I have opinions. Right. Right? I definitely feel like this is the way that I chop mortises right as an example. This is the way I do this I'm the tails first kind of guy. I don't cut yeah. ends first But it, that doesn't mean that therefore there is only one way I will yeah. make my argument for why I like this other way But I think it's really dangerous for me and for you uh, To as the teacher-student situation to say oh, I see so-and-so says Joshua Klein says it. right, you know yeah. that I feel like uh, you know, when you're taking my class sure do it this way and then go home yeah. and try different stuff
0: figure out the best way Yeah, for for yourself. Yeah, um, it's it's kind of like uh, I had never seen the way Al breed cuts dovetails before and you showed Whoa. me a video Right, and yeah. I was like, how does he do that? It's like hang his saw is backwards yeah, You have to describe it. Okay, so, you know, most of us cut dovetails with the, um, the board in a face vise, right, upright, so we can cut our tails. And we're, the saw is held upright and horizontal. And that's how most of us do it. So Al Breed uh, doesn't use a vise. He holds the board flat on the bench.
1: So the board is horizontal. Yeah,
0: and he like cr- takes his saw, aims the teeth towards the bench, and he kind of holds it in his pinky. Yeah, he
1: hangs it from his pinky. Hangs so saw. it hangs plumb
0: yeah exactly and then he saws like that and his whole explanation was when he started in the the cabinet shop you know many years ago he didn't even have a bench he had like saw horses to work off of and so that's how he taught himself to cut dovetails and of course he's like the most competent hand-cut dovetailer you could imagine yeah but that's how he cuts dovetails and that works amazingly well for him and no one would ever teach that. Yeah.
1: And I've never seen an 18th century painting of someone <laughs> <doing that>. <laughs> No.
0: <laughs> nope. But I bet, I mean, maybe there was somebody who did it that who way.
1: Who knows? When they only had a workmate. Yeah. Only...
0: But, but Al took his, his personal experience and his personal um, situation where he was in work with no vice. And he developed this method that works well for him. Yeah. And any expert would shoot him down. You shouldn't be doing that. That's not the right way. Yeah,
1: even though he is But I think the other thing with it too is I do hear from a lot of people It's like, oh, you know, whatever works for you anything and and it's sort of this relativizing of all Techniques, right? I really like ripping with a really fine-tooth saw, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. works for you and I would say but Like I think it's important to say what we're not saying is every single way of approaching a given operation is exactly valid. the same, right? Or is equally as uh, effective or valuable. What we're saying is the real point is try different ways, right? And you'll get it because yeah. there are a lot of um, bogus arguments that people give where they say, Oh, well, such and such doesn't work. I've tried it, right? And then I try it. I'm like, it's Yeah, actually it worked quite fine. quite awesome. I don't, yeah. I don't, but I would, if I took their word for it, I would never try it. Yeah. And so I think that's what we're saying is we're not saying, oh, don't try anything because everything's just relative, all techniques. It's not really worth trying anything. What we're saying is try everything. Then you'll immediately go, I really like that. That really helped me. That's the point. It's to unlock this inquisitive spirit that you're just willing to
0: try different stuff and go, oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. And that, you know, one of the things we want to try and convey in this um, Morrison Tenon apprenticeship program is uh, this idea that, we're 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 showing you this way we're teaching you this way of working wood what we want you to do is to become uh to to understand the process enough so that you can go and run with it so that mm-hmm. you can develop in your own way and how how you feel comfortable we're, we're going to say well this is this is our method for sharpening we do a specific thing. We use water stones. We do, um, you know, by hand, um, you know, without jigs. And yet, you know, th- this is what works best for us. And so this is what we're going to teach you. And then once you get this, once you figure out sharp with this, you can take it and run with it in whatever way you want. Um, but If you
1: contrast that with, if we said, so here's the jig. Uh, right. Here's the link by this one jig and we will show you how to use the jig and then you can learn our system Yeah, and then From you there are on out. You're slave stuck to the jig. You're yeah. stuck because you only know how to use that <clears throat> one jig made by the one company who can do it one way Yeah, and so that's why like with this program and what I try to do in my classes is teach people ways that uh, that they can uh, struggle through and then absorb this skill of say freehand honing so that they're no longer dependent on one commercial jig. So if they go home and they don't have it or yeah. whatever, or they need to replace it and it's not in stock, they're not going,
0: oh, no, now I'm paralyzed. What do I do? Paralyzed. I can't sharpen my tools.
1: Yeah, I can't. Exactly. So uh, the whole goal of what we try to do in all of our education is teach people um, skills over you know clever jigs. Mm-hmm. You know, Clever jigs are clever. They're great. Yep. They're genius. However, if you only... If you're taught on them, yeah, you're kind of handicapped. You can't go any further than that. Yeah,
0: and you know that's one of the things when we talk about um, like pre when we use the term pre-industrial woodworking, we're we're talking about um, in a sense these these historical techniques that have been uh, perfected. Uh, well, that's a, a tricky word to use. They've been like sifted out by human experience cultivated maybe. yeah generations of people have worked on their techniques with these tools like the same tools that we're using mm-hmm. and they have worked through the pros and cons of using them in certain ways you know and so they don't cut dovetails holding the saw with their teeth because they, they found that to be not very serviceable jimmy hendrix might do that. he might have done that yeah <laughs> yeah so if you find an old dovetail saw with with teeth marks oh this is like jh on it jh you know that's jimmy's yeah. saw yeah so keep an eye out for that <laughs> uh we'd be interested in one of those but um yeah it's it, so basically um it's this whole idea just coming back around of it, don't hold yourself up as having all the answers and don't hold someone else up as having all the answers because there are still answers to be found out there. It's kind of like, um, you know, I've been doing, um, some, some training and stuff because next, uh, school year I'm volunteering at our homeschooling co-op to teach, uh, 13 and 14 year olds. Like one day a week, we're going to go through and do, you know, Latin and astronomy and, and, um, all these other very interesting subjects. And uh, it's gonna be a lot of fun. It's gonna be a big challenge. Um, I'm looking forward to it. But um, the whole premise of of the training I've been doing is the teacher should consider themselves as the lead learner. Mm. The teacher is not just some expert that the students look to, you are learning together. Because really, the ultimate goal of education should not be mastery of a subject. Because we, we as humans don't have mastery of any subject. Right. Every subject has greater depths to plumb. There's always more to learn. What knowledge does is it brings us to the point of unknowing. It brings us to the point of, we get so far where we realize where the abyss is, where we no longer know more about the subject. And this is where exploration can happen. So the teacher should be leading the way to that edge, to saying, here's what we know, here's this body of knowledge, but then here is where the mystery is, and so that that's how students just maintain that sense of awe. And wonder. I was going to say, wonder yeah. was the word I was yeah. just
1: thinking of as you were talking. Like it's it's looking at the world with these glasses of like wonder. You yeah. Know? Like,
0: wow. Yeah. Like there's so much
1: out there to find. When you do that for kids, uh, my uh, my oldest boy, he uh, he had this this science instructor who actually recently passed away, Tony. He was like pumped, like so high adrenaline. And he's like, okay, everybody. And he had all these kids and they were just like panting, excited. Yeah. Like, oh, everybody check this out. Do you know what happens with this? Yeah. And it was just, the kids just ate it up. And basically what he did is he just set himself on fire. Yeah, <laughs> With exactly. enthusiasm and yeah. ran around and all the kids caught on fire. Yeah. And when he passed away, it's like devastation. Yeah. And so if you can be that infectious lead learner um, that... That is what real education, real learning comes out of yeah. that kind of thing. Just getting bit by that bug.
0: Yeah, they Man. they internalize that enthusiasm yeah. and they, they run with it because that's how they view learning. When when learning is put up as this dry, uh, boring thing where hopefully you can sneak into the back of the class and catch a few winks or whatever, Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just how students will always perceive learning. But when it is something... Uh, amazing and mysterious and fun, um, they'll, you know, run to the front of the class and they'll be early to show up and they'll want to be there and, and want to put these things into practice. And, and you, I think too, it's not just for kids. Like we're not saying, so all you teachers
1: out there be like that. Yeah, sure. Do that. Yeah. But as a student yourself, a student of life, yeah, surround yourself with people who are like that. Yes. Who see the world with eyes of wonder, and they're saying, "Wow, that's yeah. so cool." Yeah. And um, I think that has been really helpful to me. Uh, to instead of just Googling what's the correct answer to the question I'm dealing with, I want to. I would. Uh, the ideal would be to talk with someone who knows a lot about that and start asking these probing, interesting questions. Yeah. And to get them pumped, or to let how excited they are come out, and then you're just you know, absorbed in this discussion rather than, you know, looking on Wikipedia, what's the correct answer? Right. You know, correct answers. Who needs that? Right. Yeah. Well, it's exploration
0: and, mm-hmm. and interaction with, with those things. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's good stuff. Um, you know, in, in the world of woodworking, we are not just constrained to a list of rules and it's so great. And again, I, I remember going back to that conversation we had with, with yoga Uh, Sunquist and Mm. just talking about how tradition forms this these four walls, but within those walls, he is free to go where he's free to explore. Yeah, he's um, he's given this great degree of freedom to to be creative. Yeah, Uh, and I think I I move to that analogy so often, time and time again, in woodworking. I was thinking about um, you know
1: we talked about a lot of people who can really who are quite far along on their journeys. I'm sure Al Breed would tell us that he learns stuff every day in the shop. Yeah. Oh. Totally. But it doesn't seem like it to us. Right. Like he He, he, he knows, knows it all. He knows He's it all He's
0: forgotten more than I'll ever know. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Um But I think that's that if you want evidence of a true master, maybe that's it. That he says, uh uh I yeah, gotta I learn more. Uh, every so, day. Yeah. Yeah. Um but so I was thinking about this assessment, this self-assessment sort of thing. And you know, we can all do that. Maybe Beginning of January, we start doing that that thing every year. We say, "Hmm, is my life what I want it to be?" Yeah, what and should start, I do? Set some goals, and and that's good, and I think that's appropriate. But um, I recently was talking uh, with some people, and we were working through how to you know refine some things uh, in our ministry ministry program, and um, basically we were, we were saying, "Okay, how did the last year go? We had 2020 with COVID, and how stressful and um, heart." heartache filled that was and we were talking about you know where are we strong where are we weak Hmm. how can we how can we assess this and move forward into the next year and what we were talking about is okay so this area is still strong here i think and this area is weak and this area is weak and this area is weak you know we started (laughs) going through and we realized oh well people haven't been meeting and this group hasn't been meeting and we haven't had any gatherings you know so yeah we realized weak 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 and what we were talking about as we were going around is instead of beating ourselves up saying, well, 2020, you know, yeah. now we just, we're just weak, we're beat down, we've really failed. And it, rather than having that perspective on it, um, we realized, okay, it doesn't, it doesn't help to say, no, we're actually strong. Because right. We're not we're not, but we also don't need to say well, we actually failed we are failures because mm-hmm. there are circumstances You can find yourself in and yeah. we all find ourselves in circumstances that we wish we had done more or done better. Yeah, but Forget about that you're in the circumstance And so it's sort of like your body and you think about muscles and you say what part of my body if your self-assessment are my arms strong Are my legs strong is my all heart right. strong my lungs, you know, and you can say oh wow I never realized my left arm is quite weak compared to my right arm or something. And yep. you don't say, well, I, I am a failure now. You say, okay, okay. Yeah. Time to uh, something is atrophied, something has been ignored, and how can I work to develop that? Yep. And I think that's a, an important thing to think about as you're um, looking at your own life and how much craft you ideally want in it. But you can, you don't have it, and you say, "Well, I'm just a failure because I'm not Albreed, right, or whatever." <laughs> or the the other guy I watch on YouTube, or yeah. you know, um, I don't think that's a healthy or forward moving perspective. Uh, you need to be able to say, "Okay, well, here's a legitimate area of my life that I have atrophy. I have weakness. Yeah, what can I do to start exercising those muscles to gain strength? Yeah, to make this a more prominent, strong part of my life. Yeah." Um, And I think part of that is, that again, it's, you know, let's just say you go with this analogy of a weak arm, a weak left arm. No one would say, well, start benching 200 pounds a day.
0: Right. (laughs) I mean,
1: there's no way you can't do that. You start with those little tiny... Speaking of
0: setting yourself up for failure, which is the whole New Year's resolution scenario where you're going to invest in exercise equipment and you're going to invest in a gym membership and you're going, yeah, January 1st, it's all going to be different. Mm-hmm. By February first, let's see how things are going. Yeah, I you know that's why that's the best time on Craigslist to start looking for used, brand new treadmills, mm-hmm. because um, people set themselves up for failure looking to bite off more than they can chew. Yeah, so that that habit forming is yeah. important. Yeah, and you can say,
1: um, you know maybe you have to come up with some way for your life. But if you say, well I've been um, driving every day to work but it's really would actually be a 10-minute bike drive, bike ride why am yeah. i even doing this is right. silly yeah and you got to figure out all the ways that you can get that bike commute into your life right um, and it, there are so many different ways you can think about it um but i think from my mind at least that the little bit of success i've had with that is really dependent on a low bar mm-hmm. you have to have a low realistic expectation that you can that will only cause you to re- extend your reach just a tiny, tiny bit. Yeah. If you extend it just a little tiny bit, then you can actually do it. But yeah. But it's also getting you to get up off your butt and yeah. do something. Yeah. And if every day you're extending just a little bit more, just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And then you I, have some soak time and let it per- permeate into your
0: thinking. And Exactly. If you
1: push hard, 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 you're just going to fail.
0: Yeah. Uh, one of our readers wrote to us and he said his, his way of thinking he's, he's a homesteader and he said, um, he thinks of it this way, like move the ball a little bit every day. Mm. You know, it's like a football analogy, like on the field, right? Every play moves the ball a little bit in the right direction. He said, <laughs> some days it doesn't feel like it's going anywhere. Some days it, it may not feel like a lot, but then you look back at the end of the day and you've moved the ball quite a ways down the field. Yeah. Um, but that, that, to me, is a, it's a pretty decent analogy of just a little bit of progress. And, and you were talking about the other analogy that, that you like to carry around with you. The... Yeah,
1: the, the folk wisdom. Yeah, I mean, Maybe, hopefully, you've heard this before, but the idea of the farmer in his field, and he's got rocks in his field, and how can he clear out these rocks? And he picks up one stone a day and puts it in his pocket. Mm-hmm. And he carries it back to the house, and he, you know... To extend the analogy, you, you, you like throw the rock into a pile. Yeah. And before you know it, your field has few rocks and you have a new rock wall that right. you always wanted to build. But you didn't have time to block out, to rip to take, all the yeah. stones out of your field. Nor did you have time to put everything aside and build yourself a rock wall. Yeah. But if you just weave that in every day, I put a stone in my pocket and then throw it on that pile, all of a sudden, without any extra work... You realize, oh, I've just accomplished these two huge projects. And so that I think that the trick, if there's a trick, is to figure out how can it be so painless that I do a little bit and it just slips in? How can yeah. I put a workbench in the corner of my living room? Yeah. You know, how can I you know, do a little tiny practice, or a little habit that just gives me that much time? And by the end of it, you have a rock wall.
0: Yeah i mean absolutely and that is with the the apprenticeship program that is our goal we want um a habit to be made like i would say even more important than the skills that we're looking to teach through this program what we want is to uh, create or allow students to envision a situation where they create this regular habit because that's where skills grow yeah that's how um that's how craft can become a regular and, and bigger part of anyone's life. Um, and that's, that's really what we want from the program yeah. more than anything else. Yeah, I'm
1: really excited to see how this shapes up. And um, uh, we have, it's, it's filled up. Yeah. As of this recording, there are two slots left. So, I mean, by the time It'll it's be... published, I think it's going to be full. Yeah. Um, but we're doing the, the program quarterly Um, So the next term will be the winter term. Um, But if you go to mtapprenticeship.com, you can learn all about it. You can look into that program, watch the trailer we made describing it, um, and see if that's a good fit for you. It's not necessarily what everyone needs, but uh, we think the primary benefit is kind of providing this structured, guided program. And it's a mentorship so that we're available to answer questions. Uh, We do these live stream Uh, Q and A things. So you know, it's we're we're there with you as much as we can from distance. We have people who signed up from Australia and all over the place. Yeah. So we're able to help them incorporate craft into their life.
0: Yeah. And Um, those
1: students are able to help each other as well. Exactly. So uh, we hope it's the program is helpful to people, Um, but we see that there are so many great opportunities that these technologies that often we allow to. Stultify our lives Mm -hmm. uh, can actually be used subversively. Yeah, I think to and if you're careful, uh, you can use these technologies to actually empower you to turn that thing off and go make some shavings. Yeah, so turn this thing off. Yeah, stop listening to this podcast (laughs) and go make some shavings for five minutes. Yeah, okay. Uh, Thank you for listening to the Mortise and Tenon podcast. If you haven't already, you can subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have comments or questions, you can leave them below. And we do want to hear from you uh, in the iTunes uh, reviews. Let us know what you think. The craziest, goofiest comment wins a (laughs) T-shirt. So thanks for listening. Yeah, we'll catch you next time.